The children in the state have been wearing masks since the beginning. It's not that big a deal. It'll help save lives, keep people healthy, and that's all we're asking for. So there has been some pushback, but we're not backing down from this. We think it's important. People, I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report. It's February 2nd, 2023. We're live streaming on Rumble, YouTube, and Locals. Subscribe if you have not. And today is a Locals community Q&A. So if you want to see if you can get a last second question in, we will allow it. Uh, join us at rubinreport.locals.com. The Locals community is blowing up. And that gives me uh, a good moment to mention that I can officially tell you that January was by far, I know I've said it a bunch lately, uh, but it's worth repeating not to pat myself on the back, although I can pat these guys on, on the back for their hard work. Uh, but I think something good is happening here because January was by far our biggest month. On YouTube alone, uh, it was our best month, I think by 64%. If you have a month increase of 10%, that's good. 20%, that's fantastic. 30, kind of unheard of, et cetera, et cetera. 64%. Also, Rumble is just on like a hockey stick of growth right now. All the social media stuff, people are paying attention. We're, we're working hard, I think, doing something that's relevant. Uh, so that's just a little thank you uh, up top to you guys because the, uh, the engine is clean and effective and the machine is rolling. So all good. Uh, before we do the uh, community Q&A, though, I wanted to do this story. You know, I, I don't do much about sort of the, the inter-drama of the YouTube people, right? I, I mostly stick to politics. I stick to, to the culture wars and, and all that kind of stuff and, and some philosophy and whatever it might be. But I, I don't get into like the nitty gritty of the, the YouTube game. And there, there's an entire YouTube ecosystem of people that are making videos to destroy this person. And that person counters the video to take out this person. And then they sort of, their, their mutually assured destruction actually makes a lot of money for everybody because they're getting clicks by going after this person. It's sort of like when rappers are fighting each other, your Biggie Smalls and your, uh, give me another rapper. Uh, you've got your Tupac. Uh, he's no longer with us. Biggie's not with us either. Man, all my rap heroes are gone. Uh, but, you know, these guys would get at, go at each other. I don't know if those two were. Right? Those two were probably fighting somehow, right? Somebody's fighting or you got your Iggy Azalea fighting your uh, Beyonce, Jay-Z. The point is, they get into these things, and I'm not saying there's nothing there, but then it's good for everybody. You sell more albums, you get more clicks, blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of this sort of thing on YouTube, but, but there was an interesting controversy on YouTube. And I wonder, I'm actually totally curious, we'll look in the comments to hear it from you guys. How many of you heard about this controversy? Because this is super interesting. There is a guy, a young guy, who goes by the name Mr. Beast on YouTube. I'm guessing he's probably in his late 20s. Do we even know how, how old this guy is? How old? 24. Wow. He's 24 years old. This guy has become, he's worth probably hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. He does all sorts of video, uh, videos. And a lot of what he does is giving people money. He gives people money. He helps people buy houses and cars and get their life in order. He, he seems to be doing a lot of good stuff from anything that I've seen. And his stuff does show up on my YouTube feed constantly. Anything that I've seen seems like he's doing good stuff. That, that's what I've been able to see. In any event, he decided to pay for a thousand people to get their blindness reversed. There are procedures that can be done for a specific type of blindness to actually get your blindness reversed. You are blind one moment, you have the procedure, you can see next. And he paid and then made a big video about it for this to happen, uh, this procedure 
to happen for a thousand people and literally all over the world. He went to multiple countries to do this. It's, it's really fantastic. We're gonna show you a little bite of it. But the reason I wanted to show you this is because there was a huge blowback against him for doing what strikes me as a seriously nice thing. Uh, it's good for him too, obviously. He gets some PR and he gets clicks and all that. But like using your money for good and to help people see uh, seems pretty good. But, but YouTubers went after him, mainstream media went after him, and it was really, really bizarre. Uh, so I wanna just unpack that a little bit and then we'll get into the community Q&A. And then I also wanna make fun of Leonardo DiCaprio real quick. And uh, then, you know, we'll wrap it up nicely and you'll go about your day. Sounds good, okay, let's do it. Uh, real quick, guys, let me talk to you about Birch Gold. Uh, you know, despite the US blowing through the $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in January, the leftist White House still refuses to reduce spending. While our national leadership has buried their heads in the sand when it comes to fiscal responsibility, it's time to pull yours out. Now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold. In times of high uncertainty and instability, gold is king. It's dependable. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Visit birchgold.com Dave to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Think about this, to dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000. We're gonna have to talk to Mr. Beast about that. And it's only getting worse, guys. Protect yourself with gold today by visiting birchgold.com Dave with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers and countless five-star reviews. You can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Visit birchgold.com Dave today. And now back to me. All right, so this Mr. Beast fella, and if you're, if you're a YouTube person, one of these people that clicks around, you end up in the rabbit holes, you start watching Dave Rubin, next thing you know, you're watching the Mr. Beast or something else. Uh, he's a huge TikToker. He, he's all over the place, this guy. And as I said, he, he's got a ton of money and he seems, from what I can tell, uh, to be doing good things with his money. He's a, with his money. He's a 24-year-old kid. He's from North Carolina. He has over 130 million subscribers on YouTube. By comparison, we have about 2 million. Now, obviously my channel is hit with all sorts of shadow bans and everything else because of the politics and that sort of thing. But like 2 million and we're pretty big, right? Like this is, we're doing something over here. And this guy's got 130 million subscribers, really nuts. Anyway, he reinvests all of his profits back into each video where he performs these family-friendly stunts or these big acts of philanthropy, as I've been saying. So now I wanna show you this, this is a little compilation video because he did a big video on this thing. He did this video where he gave this, this incredible, truly life-changing surgery so that blind people could see to a thousand people, it's cataract surgery, to cure their blindness. Here's just a little snippet. In this video, we're curing a thousand people's blindness. It's gonna be crazy. It's that simple. They can see again. You pay for my surgery? Yes. <laughs> Seriously? You know what? Here's ten thousand dollars. Make your day even better. We're just getting started. We still have nine hundred and eighty lives left to change. Jeez. There's my watch. I've never seen it before. Oh my god. All right. Oh my god, man. And there you go. I'm crying. I can see everybody's facial features now. It's a little blurry with my uh, tears coming out. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've been subscribed to you for like 11 years. Really? Oh my gosh. Jeremiah has been blinded in his right eye since he was born, and it's affected his vision his entire life. Let's do this. How'd it go? <laughs> Good. Yeah? Are you excited? <laughs> yeah. Take your time. No pressure. Everything looks so more clear. Yeah. To make this day even more special, since you're about to graduate high school and go to college, we wanted to give you $50,000 to put towards college. I didn't even think this was real. Like, I'm waiting to wake up. <laughs> oh my god. But we're also going to other places around the world. Because unfortunately, nearly half the population with curable blindness doesn't have access to this surgery. So I wanted to provide this to as many people as possible. As a thank you, because you were just so gracious in this video, we want to make a $100,000 donation. It'll bring sight to thousands of people. All right, so how great is this? Like, if there's anyone watching this, I, I know you guys, you're good, decent people. You're watching this going, oh, how heartwarming. It's nice, you could almost tear up. A thousand people can now see that could not see before because of cataracts, uh, because of what this guy did. He's also paying for people to go to college. He gave the doctor another hundred grand. Uh, but then what happens, and this is so consistent, you'll see why I wanted to talk about this. This is so consistent with everything that happens in the world. If you try to do something good, if you, if you do something sort of like Elon Musk trying to fight for free speech, then suddenly there's a litany of articles in every mainstream publication about how evil he is and how bad his businesses are and all that. This kid does this on his own volition and it doesn't matter if he's making more money on these videos than he's spending. He's doing something really fantastic. Uh, but then the haters come out and there's this, this cascade, uh, this endless cascade of people on YouTube going after him for this. He's a grifter and everything else. And then mainstream media goes after him too. Check out this article from Forbes. Forbes was once, once a reputable place of journalism. Forbes is absolutely trash. Forbes, by the way, we just remembered this while we were playing this thing, about six months ago, uh, said that they wrote a whole article about how my audience had abandoned me because of my political positions. And literally, I think every month for the last six months, we've broken every record. And as I just said, we just like smashed them into oblivion. Anyway, here's what Forbes said about Mr. Beast, who just helped a thousand people see and see in general, he thought of as a good thing. Mr. Beast's latest video sees the YouTuber Help Cure the Blind partnering with SEE International to provide manual small incision cataract surgery to a thousand patients, filming their delighted reactions in the wake of a successful procedure. However, the video sparked controversy online, igniting an interesting ethics debate. Mr. Beast's habit of showering strangers with cash for content has long been a bit of a joke on Twitter because his charitable acts tend to conceal an uncomfortable truth under the shiny surface. The fact that these videos are created primarily for clout and profit imbue them with a dark undertone, especially when young fans view them as acts of messianic empathy 
After all, one can't always depend on the kindness of YouTubers. Essentially, Mr. Beast's videos are much like those feel-good news stories that hide a bleak reality at their core, like stories of children raising money to pay their parents' medical bills, or teachers having to go to extreme lengths to provide basic classroom supplies, dystopian acts of desperation framed as inspirational and empowering. Good God, where's my barf bag from the other day? Because I'm going to need it. Uh, this led to some Twitter users, you gotta watch out for some Twitter users, voicing concerns of their discomfort, even labeling the video demonic and mocking Mr. Beast. But many of the critiques aimed at Mr. Beast's video were not aimed at the YouTuber, but the systems that incentivizes this kind of content. Political streamer Hassan Piker watched Mr. Beast's curing blindness video on Twitch and stated that watching it made him filled with rage. Piker went on to explain, we shut off access to a 10 minute procedure because we paywalled it and decided that some people simply can't get it. Mr. Beast is happy to take credit for enriching these people's lives, but would it be so difficult to take a few seconds per video to explain the conditions that led to his subject's suffering? A little context could go a long way. The subjects of Mr. Beast's videos are surely blessed by his interventions, but the concern is that many of the children who watch these videos are absorbing a particular ideology that the only way to change the world is to get incredibly rich, throw some of that cash in the right direction, and make sure there's a camera pointing your way. I must say that is one of the most disgusting, ridiculous, moronic things that has ever been written in mainstream media. We all want people to help. You know, everyone seems, everyone seems to want the government to help. Maybe not you guys, but like the, the mainstream uh, layer of this thing. Oh, we, the government should help. If only the government could take from some and do whatever a certain set of people want to do to another certain set of people, and it usually hurts those people. This guy, he's figured out to make money for himself, which is fantastic, probably lives a great life, and he's doing all of this good work, and these bitter, quote-unquote, journalists at Forbes that they dare even print this trash. Like, he should have spent more time figuring out what their real problems are. Like, you think that that kid who now can see, couldn't see out of his right eye, now can see, who's crying and then got 50 grand? You think he's looking at this like, oh, I hate Mr. Beast? It's so stupid. The government literally steals boatloads of your money to drop bombs on countries across the world. You don't even know why. And people are upset about this thing. Anyway, Mr. Beast saw a little bit of the pushback and he wrote this on Twitter. He wrote, Twitter, rich people should help others with their money. Me, okay, I'll use my money to help people and I promise to give away all my money before I die, every single penny. Twitter, Twitter, Mr. Beast bad. And that got almost uh, 50 million views. Uh, the Babylon Bee had a great take on this thing because they saw the controversy. This is just perfect. Sad, YouTuber Mr. Beast spends million curing people, curing blind people when he could have sent another tank to Ukraine, absolutely perfect. And I just wanted to juxtapose this with something else because here you have this, again, I don't know this kid. It just all seems interesting to me, like, I don't know, 24 year old kid doing all this good work and, and that he's making a dime on it too. Like, it's great. Like, it's, it's just great all around. But I wanted to compare that to uh, Leonardo DiCaprio because as you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, who I'm sure is worth at least a hundred million bucks, and he's actually a great actor. He's in a ton of great movies. He's freaking perfect in Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I even like Titanic. There, I said it, okay? I didn't like it the first time I saw it. Over the years, I've come to enjoy the Titanic when it's been on TNT in the afternoon and, you know, whatever. I don't have cable anymore, but okay, fine. I like Titanic. What are you going to do? Um, 
uh, Eli David, who's a doctor who does a ton on COVID, he, he had an interesting tweet about Leonardo DiCaprio. He wrote, Leonardo DiCaprio is very concerned about climate change. Fun fact, his mega yacht emits more carbon in a single trip than your car in your entire lifetime. Now, look at that yacht there. It turns out that he rents that yacht. He does not own that yacht. But isn't that just the essence of all of this stuff? The same people who will tell you Mr. Beast is a bad dude for doing good stuff because he's getting attention while he's doing it and making some money. They're the same people that love Leonardo DiCaprio and Leonardo DiCaprio will fly on his private jets all over the place and he will get on those yachts. His carbon footprint will be massive while he guilts you into not driving car or anything else. You know, when we were, I saw Leo once when we, we lived in LA. What was that? You remember that restaurant in Laurel Canyon, that little Italian joint down there, whatever that place was called. Remember that place? Saw him down there and he was sitting at a table. He had five chicks with him sitting there like this, five chicks, arm around two of them. He was living a good life, that's what I'm saying. Anywho, let's get to a Ruben Report, a community Q&A. I will try to do good work. No one's getting paid. I'm not paying you people to watch, but you might enjoy yourself. Is that enough? How about that? Uh, Nineveh says, hey Dave, I just finished reading your second book and I could not stop laughing. If you could choose one book to have everyone in the world read, what would it be? Well, first off, I'm thrilled to hear that you couldn't stop laughing at it because my one concern with Don't Burn This Country, which obviously was the second book, was that I did not feel it was as funny as the first book. The first book, because it was a little more autobiographical, uh, I felt like I got more funny quips in there. My, my editor, like we were a little looser with some of the silliness. And then in the, in the second book, it was a little denser, like it was a little more research heavy. And I felt like we cut a lot of jokes at the end. So I'm very, very glad to hear that. And if, if, you, if you read it and you liked it, uh, you might want to try the audiobook because that's because I do the whole thing myself. And then, you know, some of the, the inflection and intonation in my voice, I think you'll dig it. Um, if there was one book that everyone could read, I mean, look, my easy answer on this is read 12 Rules for Life if you have not read it. Um, I, I literally lived it. Like I lived that book by Jordan Peterson by being on tour with him, 120 stops, as you guys know, in about 20 countries for a year and a half. It was, it was incredible. I look back on it, like, did that happen? It was a dream. Um, but th that's a very easy answer for me to give you. Um, I would say, you know, I've mentioned this book a couple times before and it's, it's I wish I could have interviewed him, uh, but he passed away before I was doing any of this stuff. You know, the great astronomer and science communicator, Carl Sagan, and Carl Sagan was sort of, if, if you don't know Carl Sagan, uh, if you're young, you probably don't know Carl Sagan. Um, he was he was sort of Neil deGrasse Tyson before Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was um, he was a, he would go on Johnny Carson and he would talk about these great ideas of philosophy and science and space and all of these things. He was a professor at Cornell University also. Um, and actually, I, when I was on Bill Maher's show, I asked him, because Bill went to Cornell, if he ever had a course with him. And unfortunately, he wasn't teaching much at the time because he had sort of become a TV star. But... I know a lot of you don't like Neil deGrasse Tyson. He is certainly no Carl Sagan and he's become sort of a crazed leftist, especially around COVID. But Sagan was sort of non-political and just wanted to communicate the decent ideas of science to people. Uh, he wrote one work of fiction, which was the movie Contact, which is an absolutely wonderful movie. It might be my favorite movie ever with Jodie Foster. It came out in 1997. And, uh, and he wrote many, many books, including Cosmos. But his last book was called Billions and Billions. Uh, and he actually passed away. He died of cancer uh, right before he had finished the book. So his wife, Andrean, who's also a professor at Cornell, I think she still is now actually, 
Um, she actually had to finish the book for him, but it's, it's sort of him, he clearly knew that his time was coming to a close and it's him putting his final touches on, on the thoughts of his life. And it's, uh, it's really, really wonderful. And he had a great way of explaining really complex stuff in a, in a very, very human way. Uh, James says, I heard you were possibly doing a tour in Europe for 2023. Any confirmation or teaser that you can provide? I need to plan in advance, Dave. You know what? I don't want to tease too much right now because there's a couple moving parts here. Uh, I also have to blend, uh, you know, there are two kids here that I got to feed, make sure they're doing okay, change diapers and things. I can't leave everything to David. Uh, so we're trying to figure out like, do we have to break it into two trips, maybe even three trips now, it sounds like. Uh, I mentioned yesterday that Jordan Peterson's putting on this conference in October, uh, where they're gonna really do this sort of assault, like a, a 180 reverse on the WEF, a bottom-up idea of how to fix the world's problems. That'll be in London in October, so I'm gonna try to get to that. But yes, May, there's gonna be a couple countries, at least two, possibly three, maybe four. We're trying to figure it out. Just hang tight on that. I'll have more for you soon. Uh, Amy says, what activities are you most looking forward to doing with Justin and Luke? I mean, I can't wait to get out there and play basketball with them. Like, that's it. I really, really hope they like basketball. I know the thing is with kids, everyone throws them into soccer at the beginning because you can basically just stand out there and you don't have to do much of anything and, none of, you know, whatever, not a lot's happening. I'm not a soccer guy. I find it boring as hell, but whatever. What, you know, I'll go out and do it, but I cannot wait to, uh, to teach them how to shoot hoops. Like, I, I just hope that, uh, you know, I'm 46 now, but let's say it's in like five years, five, we could start shooting around a little bit, maybe a little bit before. Hopefully I'm still walking. Um, I cannot wait for that. Cannot wait for that. Um, I would love to go fishing with them too. I think that'll be super fun, which obviously here in Florida, plenty of opportunities to do that. Um, but they're really like, they're growing so fast right now. Like every morning, they're both in that phase where you wake up in the morning and I'm like, whoa, you're bigger than you were before. And wait, wait you're who and who's that one? And yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. Uh, and also Justin is now, he's almost into six months. Like he's not quite crawling, but he's rolling. Like this kid can basically get where he needs to go by rolling, which is, uh, which is sort of hilarious to watch. Uh, cool mom says, rather than encourage us to talk politics with our Democrat friends and family, which often ends badly, shouldn't the focus be on pros like yourself getting the truth out? Is there a plan to stop liberal views from dominating the airwaves? Are you working towards crossing over? Um, well, if you mean crossing over, if you mean into, or you're saying the airwaves, so I think you mean maybe like a little more into the mainstream. I mean, look, I tried many times when I put those two books out that were both bestsellers uh, to get on CNN. We tried to get on MSNBC. We tried to get on whatever the, the political talk shows are on all of these networks. Nobody would have me. Fox and Fox Business would put me on every show and they still consistently put me on these things. I would have gone on all of these shows to talk about all these things, um, is what it is. So I don't know that we can, I don't know that we can salvage the mainstream and I don't know that we have to. You know, the, the mainstream media at this point, it's dying in numbers. It's why they write nonsensical hit pieces. Why does Forbes write hit pieces about how Joe Rogan's a racist? Is it, and why did Brian Stelter for weeks cover how Joe Rogan's a racist? Is it because they really believe he's racist or it, they believe that he's getting the views and the clicks that they used to got so they wanna take him out? Why is it that Forbes is going after this Mr. Beast guy? Is, do they honestly think it's worth writing an article that this guy who just helped a thousand people in several countries see uh, some for the first time, that it's worth taking him out? Or is it that they know if they write a hit piece about him, it'll cause controversy and then cause clicks, right? Like 
you know the answer to that, obviously. So I don't know how important it is to transcend that thing. The, the mainstream media seems to me at this point to be a dinosaur in the La Brea tar pits, right? Like if for those of you that have been to LA or just picture the dinosaur, the prototypical dinosaur in the tar pits where you go to your natural history museum in whatever city you're in. And the dinosaur is slowly sinking, right? And then other dinosaurs are jumping on top of it. Remember they show you like a brontosaurus walks into the tar pits and now he's sinking. And then some other predator would jump on him because he's easy prey. But then that, what that guy doesn't realize is, oh man, he's sinking. Now the tar is on me, you know, a saber toothed tiger. Now I can't get out either. And I think that's what the mainstream media is doing. It's feeding on itself in its last gasps as it, as it sinks down beneath the tar. And I think that that's just fine. I think we have to do the best we can to help convince people that have been paying attention to those things that there are more truthful things out there. It's what I was saying yesterday about the, the view, how whether AB, can we, can you Google that? I don't even know that it's a thing that we can find, but is, is the view part of ABC News or is it part of ABC's entertainment division? Because if it's part of their entertainment division, then you can then just sort of business-wise, I guess you could just say, all right, it's just an entertainment show. It doesn't matter what these girls say. But at a news level, and it, and it in essence is a de facto news show at this point, when these women lie about absolutely everything, it's a real problem. Oh, we're getting the info right now. So technically it is part of the entertainment, not news division. Isn't that interesting? Because they know it's not news. When Anna Navarro gets up there as she did two days ago, and she's screaming about the importance of this African-American uh, AP class, uh, African-American history AP class, and claiming that Ron DeSantis is getting rid of it because he's racist and doesn't mention anything about gender queer theory, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you are confusing people intentionally, but I suppose you're an entertainment show, so you're allowed to do it. Oh, interesting, this is interesting. Uh, Phoenix is giving me info on the fly. It was part, the view was part of ABC News division until 2014, but then they switched it to the entertainment division. That is extremely interesting. So there may have been legal reasons for that. You know, you're upheld to different standards when you're part of the news division than you are as part of the entertainment industry. So there you go. Uh, Francis says, when someone hollers for Dave in your house, do both you and Dave answer? So the thing is, he goes by David, I go by Dave. However, my family still calls me David. So when, when I have my brother and sister and spouses and nieces and nephews, all my nieces and nephews, they call me Big Uncle David. They call him Little Uncle David. I'm a little bit taller. Uh, and depending on how much I've eaten, I could be a little bit wider. Um, and my parents call me David. So it can be very confusing when we have a lot of family under the roof. But beyond that, it's, we're, we're pretty... We're pretty good. He does, nobody really calls him Dave. And at this point, none of my friends really call me David. So it kind of, it works itself out. I guess it is weird. Like it is sort of weird, I suppose. But at some point you just stop thinking about it. Um, Sam says, just a thought from a California resident. What do you really think a Gavin Newsom presidency would look like? I had this conversation with my friend the other day because we both abhor him so much, but he is a California Democrat. He has never faced any kind of opposition at all. Look how awful Kamala is. Same thing, right? Because she was a senator from Cali. Uh, once they get to DC with actual Republicans with power, they are totally exposed. Like what would Newsom do with a Republican House and Senate that he had to work with? Well, first off, let me just say, I'm going to do everything in my power to ensure that Gavin Newsom never 
becomes president of the United States. There, there's an interesting conversation happening a little bit about Gavin, which is, you know, a lot of people think he's just, he's just a shill. Like he's just a grifter. He'll do anything for power. Like he's not a true believer. I know people that know him personally. And a lot of people say he's not really a bananas leftist, right? Like you might say that, I don't even know that she's a true believer either. Or Bernie's a true believer, right? So Bernie, whether you like him or not, I don't think there's a lot of question as to whether he believes in the ideas of leftism and socialism, like he does. He's been fighting and screaming about these moronic collectivist, idiotic ideas as he became a millionaire with three houses for many, many decades. Like he is a true believer. Someone like Gavin Newsom, and again, I know people that know him, a lot of people that he doesn't believe this stuff. He's just doing whatever will get him elected, whatever will give him power. So in some ways that makes him the perfect Democrat because you'll do anything to attain power, right? And that seems to be what the game is about with these people. Um, you are totally right, and it's an important point that because California has become a one-party state, he's been able to do whatever he wants there. And by the way, when he does those things, he destroys the state, and his people make more money, right? So you, ha you have to think about it in like a, a pretty clear way. You could see the videos that I showed you guys last week from San Francisco, right? And they're, they're insane. They're absolutely insane. It's not a city. It, 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 is, a, it is right out of The Walking Dead. You could go to uh, Los Angeles. You could go all over the state. The state has water problems because there's this constant tension between the middle of the state and the cities, all of this stuff. There's so many problems in California. The deficits, the roads suck, like all of it, right? And it should be the most spectacular state in the, in the union, like the size of it, the geographic area along the Pacific. Like it, it's so gorgeous. The mountains, like there's so much there that you can go skiing and be on the beach basically within the same day. Like there's so many incredible things there. But you have to understand that this guy is do doing everything for power. So he might look at San Francisco and you might wonder, well, why is he letting that happen? Well, he's letting it happen because when they put in the policies that stop builders from building or put in all these crazy regulations, it's his guys that are ma making the deals, right? It's his guys that are getting richer. It's the exact same thing with the World Economic Forum types. Do you think Bill Gates is ever going to stop eating meat? Do you think Bill Gates is gonna be eating bugs? Of course he's not. Do you think John Kerry, while he's flying around on his plane, will ever stop eating filet mignon and foie gras? Like, of course they will not. So these people have, they, they really, it, it is that video that we showed you a couple weeks ago. What, what was it that John Kerry said? He said, we're, this is extraordinary. We're like extraterrestrials. Like basically like we're like gods. And I think that is really what these people believe. They think it is their job to constantly be rejiggering human society so it fits to their egotistical psychosis. I'm not into it. That's just me. The Valencias, love the Valencias. They say, when are we gonna be able to chat with each other in the Ruben Report community? It would be nice to have a built-in messenger feature. Been waiting for this and other features to be rolled out. Where's the beta test group? Sign me up. All right, first off, I promise you, you'll be in the first beta test group. We're working on it. I told you we're working on a bunch of stuff. It takes time to build these things. And there's been a lot of things, you know, when we did the merger with Rumble, there were a lot of things like we had our engineers, our locals engineers helping them on things. They were helping us on things. We had to combine all of the forces there. Uh, obviously we opened up offices here in Miami and the studio in Miami. Rumble's building out really fantastic on the water offices in Sarasota that are great. Uh, there's big things happening. Also then this freaking ridiculous war in Ukraine happened. That's where most of our locals programmers were. We were able to get a whole bunch of people out who now are working here in the United States. Some of them are still in Europe and in, in different parts, different countries right now. So that delayed some things, but, but the feature set, trust me, I, 
I've seen the whiteboard. Uh, the feature set has live chat for you guys to go back and forth on each other. We want it to be an all-in-one stop and shop, basically so you guys can communicate with each other, so you can do commerce with each other and with us. Like We're figuring out all of these things. Um, it's, it, everything takes a little bit of time. Uh, but you know, just in terms of the feature set, like we're now live streaming on locals. That was something we couldn't do about a month ago. So like we are building this stuff out. I appreciate your patience, bear with us, uh, and more is coming, I promise ya. Uh, Rich says, hi Dave. So much has been said about Elon Musk by his supporters and detractors that he seems to have an air of eccentricity surrounding him. He's almost Howard Hughes minus the crazy. What surprised you the most when you spent time with him? Well. I mentioned to you guys, I mean, the first thing was on that, on that first night when I went in there and it's about 1230 AM and he's meeting with all these people and I'm sort of standing off to the side with a couple of the engineers. They're kind of catching me up on some of the things that we had been talking about for the last two weeks. Um, and then Elon comes up to me and we start chatting for a minute and the fact, or a few minutes, and then he basically that he said, Hey, if you need me tonight, if you need me to stay tonight, like I'm really tired, but if you need me to stay tonight, I'll stay. Like, that's crazy, like absolutely crazy. The world's richest man, right? Like he doesn't work for me, right? He's got a hell of a lot to do. I'm just one guy in this ecosystem that, you know, they happen to find some things on my account that now they've found across the board, but like that he was willing to stay at that point, basically at 1 a.m. for that. And that then we push it to tomorrow and our meeting, as I told you guys, our meeting kept getting pushed throughout the day. So again, we didn't meet until after midnight. And then we had two hours. But the other part that was cool was like, he's, he really is like, like right when we sat in the meeting, he was in the middle of showing somebody like a funny video online about like, it was like a mockumentary about what it's like to raise funds in Silicon Valley. And he was cracking up and he was funny. Uh, I told you, he lit up when we talked about the political alignment, because I think he really does feel like the sort of political evolution that, that I've been going through for these last couple of years and definitely been on the forefront of talking about at least. I think he's right within that. I think, we're, I think there's so many people in America just like that. And I think it's why I always, even though it, it frustrates you guys sometimes and it frustrates me, it's why I always talk about Bill Maher because it's not about Bill specifically, but it's about the type of disaffected liberal that might be willing to ultimately change their vote when most people will not. Um, you know, he was just a good dude. He was also like, you know, the second night, I don't know, the first night, I'm not, yeah, the first night he was wearing a suit. The second night he was wearing a t-shirt that was just kind of like, it was just like a ratty old t-shirt. Like, I don't know that I would have even been seen in that t-shirt, uh, you know, and just sneakers and like some basic jeans. Like he's just like a, a decent dude. And you just have to remember, not only is he running Tesla and SpaceX and trying to get us to Mars and all this stuff, the guy has all the money in the world. He could literally do anything that you can think of and, and a, a gajillion things that you can't think of. Like if he wanted to buy Bora Bora and live in a tropical paradise with a hundred servants for the rest of his life and never be seen by humans again, he could do it. If he wanted to turn it into the island of Dr. Moreau and do bizarre experiments, crossbreeding humans with elephants, he could do that. Maybe he is. Uh, but instead he chose to get into this fight. And I don't know what better mark of a man you could find than that. Uh, Oak says, we're 31 trillion in debt with no end to the spending. Are we bankrupt? Is there any chance that social security and Medicare will be means tested? You know, this is the debate that we have every year about this stupid debt ceiling being raised. Look, we are a debtor nation. Period. We do not have any money. We have notes that say, I owe you. 
if this was Monopoly, we'd be screwed right now. Like we are one roll of the dice away from being in the poorhouse on Baltic Avenue, right? We're gonna, we're gonna have to basically sell crack on Baltic uh, so that we can get you know, a, a tenement home, something like that. Um, so we are a debtor nation. There's no way we're paying back our debts, obviously. Like there, there's simply no way we're doing it. And I think at the end of the day, like this is a weird depressing reality, but it's just true. It's why we have to have the best military in the world. You know, if you borrow money from somebody, any mafia movie you've ever seen, you borrow money from the mafia and then it's like you either pay them back on time or they maybe, uh, they, you know, kind of rough you up once, maybe rough you up twice. Third time you're taking a drive out to the Meadowlands in Jersey, right? And, and then that's it. So one day China might be like, hmm, uh, well, it does seem that the United States, we've crunched the numbers here and it does seem like the United States owes us an awful lot of money. Uh, we're gonna call in the debt. And then they're gonna call Joe Biden. He won't know where he is. Hopefully he's not president anymore, but, we, but whoever they call, they call Ron DeSantis and they say, we're calling in the debt. We're cashing in the chips. And he's gonna have to go, well, shit, what do we do about this? And then you either prolong it, but how long can you prolong it for before the whole house of cards fails? Or you end up in some sort of war situation. Maybe this is why we have these wars periodically. A whole bunch of people are getting rich off Ukraine right now. The idea that we gave a hundred billion dollars, a hundred billion of your dollars to Ukraine. What? Why? Why? And we have virtually no debate about it. And if you even question it, if you even question it, you're somehow thought of as a Russian stooge or you're working for Putin or something like that. And that's nutty, but maybe the machine just needs the wars every now and again to keep the, the money thing flowing. I think it's probably something close to that. Uh, but I don't, think, I don't think Social Security and Medicare will fall or Medicaid will fall because it'll just kind of keep going. If the machine is good at one thing, it's good, at, it, it's good in that it can keep going. I think the best we can do with the machine is at times when we get enough brave politicians, and I'm talking about the federal level, we can kind of push it back into a sane direction. You can't completely alter it. I don't think you can. And you can maybe push it this way, you can maybe push it this way, you can pull, you can tug, blah, 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 but I don't think you can do that much. Um, which is why I would want that thing to be pretty small to begin with, and it's why I would always focus on states before the federal government. Heather, yeah, what's our, what's our, uh, what do we have right now in expenditures in Florida? We're up. We have like a massive, massive amount of cash. I think we have like something like an, a surplus of like $17 billion. When we had this storm, which you guys know about, this crazy hurricane, uh, you know, FEMA cut aid. And then of course, Florida had enough money to cover it. Cali, deficit. Uh, Heather says, with all the Biden docs unravelings, I've heard a number of other like-minded allied independent journalists like yourself thinking this is all to get Biden out of office or at least to not run again. My question is given that we have documented proof that the DS was planning the pandemic as early as what, 2016, maybe earlier, wouldn't it stand to reason that the entirety of Biden's presidency has also been fairly well planned out in advance? Look, we can all go down some level of conspiracy theory here and you know, Conspiracy theorists, the last 10 years on conspiracy theorists, they're looking pretty good. They're certainly looking better than most, uh, most journalists. And I don't think anything you said there was like a wild conspiracy theory. You have to remember when Joe Biden was running and you had, you know, you had Pete Buttigieg and you had Kamala and you had Tulsi Gabbard and you had Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, et cetera, et cetera. Remember right before Super Tuesday, Super Tuesday's on a Tuesday. And if you remember on that Monday, they cut the deal with everybody. 
they cut the deal so that Pete dropped out and Bernie dropped out and Elizabeth Warren dropped out and Pete got a job in the administration. Bernie's just allowed to keep doing his nonsensical Bernie thing, whatever it is. Uh, and they all solidified around Biden. The, whatever that is, what you, is it the Clinton machine, the Obama machine? Like somebody orchestrated all of that. This is just politics. That's not a crazy conspiracy theorist, a theory. Um, so they orchestrated all of that because it seems to me that whoever they is felt that the best guy to take out Trump for whatever reason was Joe Biden. My guess is they did not think Biden was going to sort of mentally collapse this early. The idea that he could even be considering running again is so bananas. I really don't think he will do it. I, I think there's still a large chance he doesn't even make it through the end of the term. And this document stuff is sort of the perfect way to just push him aside. You have like a temporary Kamala situation and then you let Gavin in something like that. Doesn't that sort of seem right to you? I, I don't think the system has much use for him. Uh, you may remember, I, I've told the story once or twice, that when I met Trump at the height of impeachment, and this was during, you know, the, the Democrats were in the middle of their campaign and they were, they were all running at the time. Uh, you may remember those, what was it, about three weeks where Mike Bloomberg was running. Nobody was supporting Mike Bloomberg, but the media was all about Mike Bloomberg. And in those two debates that Mike Bloomberg was in, you may remember everybody was attacking him. And I said to Trump, I said, I said, Mr. President, my theory on this is that the only reason Bloomberg is in is because they want the fire directed at him because Biden is polling number one. And they know if everyone goes on a debate stage and attacks Biden, that he's going to break down. He can't deal with it like cognitively or any other way. And Trump kind of laughed at me. And he, he first, well, first he said to Melania, he's like, ah, this is sort of interesting. Listen to this. He had me repeat it to her. And then he's like, nah, Bloomberg just hates me. But I really think I was right about that. I think the system put Bloomberg in as a complete, he was a horrible candidate. He did not even try. There was no support, but they needed to drag Biden to the finish line somehow. And I think if you can see some of these tactics that the machine uses, then you don't fall for them next time. So we're going to have, you know, a big Republican primary coming up. And Nikki Haley has said she's in. I'm, I'm hearing that my buddy Larry Elder is going to get in. It sounds like Mike Pompeo is going to get in. There's going to be an interesting crop of people, many of whom I like. And let's see how the games are a bit different. The games will be different also because Republicans generally behave a little bit differently, uh, right? Remember Trump in 2016, he just ran the show all the way through. They kept saying the establishment wants to stop him, but nobody did stop him. Nobody coalesced to stop him. He took out Cruz, took out Rubio, et cetera. Um, so we shall see. Meemaw says, what happened with Bill Maher when you went to see him in LA this time? Inquiring minds want to know. So I went to, after San Francisco, I was just like, I'm in Cali, like how often am I gonna get down here? I've got a couple friends, I wanna, I wanna do some stuff with PragerU. So I went to real time and I, I was backstage, which it's sort of like, like quite honestly, like it's ridiculous at this point that I haven't been on the show, but I go backstage and you know, every producer and everyone there, they're all saying hi to me. Oh, it's so weird, you haven't been on the show yet. And I'm just like, all right, like I don't, I really don't care anymore. I'm not just saying that I don't care anymore. If anything, I would almost view it as a headache if I got the call at this point. I, I did what I needed to do with Bill in those two and a half hours or whatever it was when we did the Club Random podcast. Um, and, and we've become fr friendly subsequently. So I don't need it. it. It felt sort of silly, you know, considering I had just spent time with Elon, it's like I could have talked about some pretty relevant stuff. Um, but there, it seems to me they're maybe going in a different direction or, you know, to put a somewhat sane right-leading person on might be 
too much exposure for what they're trying to do over there, whatever it is, it, does, it doesn't even matter. Um, Bill and I talked about a whole bunch of stuff that's on the DL, okay, here we go. Uh, Nick says, once Luke and Justin are old enough to join the local boys basketball slash golf team, how would you and David teach them to handle a situation where one of their teammates identified as trans? That's an interesting question. Well, first off, as I said, I can't wait to get them out there uh, playing basketball. David was a, was a golfer in high school. He's a really great golfer. And I'm trying to, we're trying to carve out a little more time now because he's so in it with the kids so that he could, you know, there's obviously a ton of great golf courses here in Florida. So we're trying to make that happen. Um, how would we deal with it? Well, I guess the the first part of that is like, we'll have to see when, when the time comes and hopefully they don't get confronted with something like that for quite some time. And I think we have some protections against that, obviously here in Florida and, and you know, whether we homeschool or private school or whatever, but, but does it seem like the world is heading in a direction where it is likely that my seven-year-old son might know a, a girl who's pretending to be a boy or whatever? And like, what do you do with that? think, man, I don't know what the right answer would be yet. I don't know. I guess I'm not the parent of a seven-year-old yet. And I'd really have to think. I, I do when we do talk about this sort of thing a lot at dinner, like, like what you'd want to do and what we will try to do is, is put these kids into the world without being too muddled in their minds. Hopefully knowing what a loving family is and knowing what something close to truth is and, and goodness is and all of those things and surrounded by, you know, I'm blessed to be surrounded not only by great family and friends, but like they're going to have awesome influence. You know, Justin's middle name is Jordan in honor of Jordan Peterson. Like hopefully Jordan will have a little role in his life and, and Dennis Prager and these great people. So I think we can, I think we can buttress a lot of the, uh, the good ideas. We can really stabilize them. So when the crazy stuff comes in, it'll kind of present itself and we'll know how to deal with it. But I don't know if, if Justin came home and he said, I'm in, I'm in basketball and there's a girl who's going by the name Brian, but it really wouldn't be that direction, right? It would be the other way most likely because the little girl, yeah, it's messy. It's messy. I, 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 hey, we're going to be doing the show in seven years. Yeah. Okay. I'll let you know. Nathan says, uh, I've been a supporter since Rogan helped you launch. Did Rogan help me launch? I've been on Rogan a couple of times. I don't know if he helped me launch, but all right. Uh, it's been a wild ride. Question, will you support starting a funding campaign to send Sam Harris mail order desserts until he agrees to talk to Brett Weinstein for at least an hour? You know, look, I addressed the Sam thing earlier in the week. I, I told you it didn't give me any great pleasure, but I sort of felt that I had to do it to like kind of get it out of my system. And because so many people ask me about it, um, it is very disappointing. And if you listen to the video that we played uh, where Sam, you know, he's still kind of going after like mocking Brett for being vaccine skeptical. And it's like, no, Sam, you should have been. But also, even if Sam felt that Brett was completely wrong on vaccine skepticism, which again, clearly Brett was right, right? Clearly I was right. Clearly many of you were right. Why wouldn't you talk to him about it? The whole idea when we started the IDW was that we were all, it was this wide ranging people. I, I always used, when people ask me what the whole IDW was, you know, this group of people, we, it's hard to remember because it was five or six years ago now and the internet moves so fast. But it was this really wide swath of people that, that had very, very different views on things that were coming together and talking about all the important issues. It was almost, we were, we were just on the early end of seeing how wokeness was gonna destroy so much. And we were trying to stop that from happening. That really is what it boiled down to. But I always used Sam and Ben Shapiro 
as, as the, the example of what this thing really was because Sam and Ben Shapiro literally disagreed on everything. On everything, I would say, except sort of the basic tenets of the United States, meaning they disagreed on belief and religion and God. They disagreed on abortion and taxes and, and virtually every political, you know, Dem- Democrats versus Republicans, like pretty much everything you could think of. But they often would sit down in my garage, in our studio, and talk it out. And we would agree that we all wanted to live in the same country. So that was the beautiful thing. So the disappointing part with Sam is that he suddenly didn't want to talk to any of his friends or the people that were willing to talk about these things. And that, as I said the other day, was disappointing to me at a, at a personal level more than a professional level. I didn't care if we did any of this stuff publicly. I really didn't. Um, and I always would say that. And I've said that to many, many friends over the years who, who were uh, angered or disappointed with my politics or they see me with a picture with Trump or an event with DeSantis and they, they, they think I'm this right-wing maniac. And it's like, man, can you not separate friendship? Put aside whether we agree or disagree politically, can you not separate that from friendship? Why can I do it? Why do I consistently find that people on the right are able to do that and people on the left are not? Well, I think there's actually a very fundamental reason for that having to do with belief. And the lack of belief, I think, was making Sam feel very tenuous in everything he said, so he didn't want to be confronted with people that maybe got things right or saw things a little bit differently. Ah, it is what it is, something like that. Um, Lady Broad says, Dave, is there ever going to be a Republican conservative party that will unify like the Democrats, even for irresponsible, stupid bills, they stick together. It's powerful. Yeah. Well, the quest for power will get you to stick together, right? If your goal is not like what's right or what's just, it's just like, we want more power. We want more power over people. We want more of their money to do what we want to them. It's like, you can unify against that. What what do they say? You go to a libertarian uh, conference and it's like, it's like herding cats right? Because everybody's got their own issue, their like pet issue that they really care about, whether it's legalization of driver's licenses or what should happen with hardcore drugs or the border or all these things. So once you get people that believe in individual rights, that, that respect autonomy of the mind, of the self, and you try to get them to coordinate themselves into a political party and make a coherent you know, if you're asking about the Republican Party, then you'd want them to have a coherent set of values. And they, when the next presidential election rolls out, that's what they do at the convention. They say, here are the principles of our party. And the principles of our party, let's say, as the Republican Party, those are going to be different than, say, pure conservative principles, right? Uh, those are going to be different than pure libertarian principles. But what you want to do is you want to create the widest tent so enough people can get in there. I think I'm a living, breathing example of this as someone that is a duly uh, registered Republican here in Florida. I think this is the wide tent party. I think it probably has been for a long time. It was a little hard to see as the mainstream media didn't want you to see it, but that will be the challenge. Maybe it can't hold. Like maybe I'm being a little, uh, you know, rose colored glasses sort of thing in what I see as being this wide party, but I really do think it is. And I think I have enough evidence of that Uh, not only because of what I do here and that we see the response that you guys give us, but I literally travel the country and meet people from every walk of life, whether it's, whether it's some guy in Arkansas or it's a disaffected, you know, a a traditional conservative, let's say in Arkansas, or it's a disaffected liberal in Cali. And it's like, boy, you guys disagree about some stuff, but I know you both love America. I know you both respect free speech. I know you like rule of law and you think that this whole experiment is good and worthy of fighting for. So 
That's what we, that's the challenge. And whether we can actually do it is, well, the, the proof is in the pudding. Kathy says, what are your plans for off the grid August now that the boys are here? Kathy, I don't know, but I really, really do hope that we're able to get away for a little bit. Um, actually, uh, you know, fortunately, because we, we've both got family on the East Coast, hopefully we can get some family members, some grandparents to come on down and maybe take the kids for a little bit. We used to do some great trips and we've gone to the, to the Amazon and Mexico and we did the Bora Bora thing and just disconnect none of this and I just stare at the ocean. I don't need to read a book. I, I try to read some on the planes, but like I can just sit. I, if you get me on a beach, I can just sit down. David it drives him crazy because he's got books. He's got his e-reader. He's got, he's looking at it. Uh, well, not looking at his phone, but he's just like got his, well, he's got like the iPad for reading, magazines, all that stuff. And I can just sit there. I literally can just sit there and watch the waves and it could be six hours later. I've eaten some ceviche. I've had a little tequila. I'm good to go. Um, that, that works for me. Um, I, I hope we can get away a little bit. You know, the thing that happens with August is like, there's so many places that I want to go back to. I really want to go back to Italy. I haven't been there uh, since 1997. I was 21. I was basically broke kind of backpacking through Europe. Didn't have a great appreciation for food or wine or anything else. Like I was eating at McDonald's in Rome. Like I would love to go back to Italy just for the, just for the food. Um, I really want to go back to Australia. Um, I've never been to Japan. That's really number one on my list of places that I want to go that I haven't been to. Um, and then we're going to tell you a bit more on that question about the European tour in a bit, because it does look like some places that I have not been to yet. Uh, anyway, that is the show for today. We're going to have you guys stick around for the post-game show on Locals if you want to ask a couple extra questions or get some comments in there. If you haven't subscribed, please do so at rumble.com slash Report. Part two of my interview with the Willy Wonka of politics. Michael Malice is up right now on YouTube and Rumble. The full thing's up at Locals. I leave you with Elizabeth Warren complaining about Elon Musk. See you in 37 seconds. On behalf of every American citizen who goes out, works for a living, and pays taxes, and is paying more than Elon Musk, who... Most recently, 2018, paid zero in taxes. That's just fundamentally wrong. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.